Cool. Well, we're going to kick into this next part, this next little passage uh, in Mark as we're cruising through it. And the first thing I want to do is kind of set up where we're going with this passage because there's two parts to it. Um, there's, you can leave that slide up. That's perfect. Um, there's, uh, some of you guys know who that is already. Um, there's a chunk where Jesus is doing a lot of work and there's a chunk where Jesus is not doing a lot of work. And there's a recognition of the two spaces in this little, these two passages that we're going to read. And uh, how many of you guys were way into the Olympics? Raise your hand if you're like, I'm all about it. Okay, so we have like half or so. Um, and, or how many of you were just like jumping in every now and then to get highlights like I was? Okay, awesome. Um, so I was getting highlights and I was seeing different things. And I'm sure you saw who this is in the news at some point. Um, but Simone Biles was, this, she's an amazing gymnast. And... Um, she had, I think, four gold medals, but then at some point um, had to back out due to uh, the stress, the pressure that was on her um, as part of the American team um, that she felt was just overwhelming. And she got to a point where she just decided like she was just going to take, um, take a back seat, stop, and end the competition for herself at that point. Um, the the capacity that she recognized she had um, allowed her or gave her the uh, recognition to know when to stop, when to say enough is enough. Like they say that like at certain point or at a certain point, some gymnasts and they say that even people that handle heavy stress, um, you start to lose your orientation. And what she started to do was lose that and started to have to do different things in her, whatever, her uh, routine that, um, that weren't as high performing so that she could still stay oriented. So like, it was literally like her brain or like up and down, all that stuff was being affected by this pressure, this stress that she was under. And so she recognized that that's my boundary. I need to stop. I need to like set back and take a time out. And so there was obviously going to be a lot of pressure on her for that, right? Of like, what, you can't handle it? What's going on? Like, why don't you just keep going? Like, just push through it. Um, and then people that are like, no, that's awesome. Like, you recognized your boundary and you stopped and you said, I need to take care of myself and recognize what I'm capable of and this is my capacity and I'm done. And, um, and I'd highly respect the fact that she was able to say and recognize that and take a, uh, um, just basically take a, a, a stop from what was happening. Um, so she said it was very disorienting, and I want to ask a couple questions. I'm going to ask a lot of questions in this sermon because I believe that what I'm talking about isn't easy just to tell you this is what we should do or else we'd all be doing it. It's something we're all kind of familiar with. Um, so I'm going to ask questions, and I would hope that maybe you write them down. I wrote all the questions in the, the digital bulletin that we have, um, and, uh, and I I would just hope that you wrestle with them because there's a lot to take in and there's a lot that challenges us um, when it comes to um, what I'm going to call is just like basically work-life balance. And we're going to dig into that in a second. So first question I would say, do we know how to stop and take a break? Do we know when to stop? She knew when to stop, right? Do we? Do we have triggers things in our lives that help us go, okay, yeah, I've reached my maximum. It's disorienting. I can't handle this. I'm done. 
right? And whatever disorienting looks like for you, it may be a physical thing. It may be something you recognize right off the bat um, that's very obvious, or it may be something that's more spiritual, mental, whatever. Um, Do we recognize that? And do we know how to recognize those red flags of when we're being disoriented? Maybe you've been there before. You've seen the red flags come up. Maybe you've seen them happen in your life where you're like, yep, it's too much. I need to stop. I need to do something different. I need to take my mind off of this. I need to be refreshed in some way. And is it possible to have a healthy balance between work and life? Does that exist? Is it possible in our world? And you might just automatically just go straight yes, but then I'll say why and how, right? How do we begin to really live into that? So let's read this passage and let's see uh, what Mark says and what Jesus does here. So it starts out, it's in chapter 1, and we're going to read 29 to 39. And um, yeah, let's kick right into it. So as soon as they left synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately, this is one of those words you have to watch. I, we're going to mention this over and over. There's always this word immediately in this gospel of Mark. Immediately, right? As soon as, it's just like moving quick. Um, uh, told, told her about, told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. Instantly goes from fever to like serving and helping. Um, that's a little nuance in there as well. 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. All right? Goes on, verse 35. Very early in the morning, this is where the shift happens. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's a verse you want to underline, circle, highlight. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through a Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Okay. So we have two paragraphs, two distinct separate things going on. First, Jesus is healing, he's serving, he's doing awesome stuff. And then it goes on and he takes this time out, right? He recognizes when it's enough. And that seems pretty obvious. We could just end this sermon right now and you go, okay, he knows it, he recognizes it. But let's unpack it a little bit. Let's go a little further. So is it possible to have this healthy work-life balance? Is it possible to recognize when we need to take a time out, when we need to stop? Um, Is it possible to see that? And is it possible to leave things that are really good for something else that's really good? Okay. What we see here is, again, that urgency over and over. But within that urgency of serving and doing amazing things, he's like healing people, driving out demons, transforming lives, like changing people. And then he's like, I got to go and take a time out and leaves early in the morning and has this time, right? What we see here in the first part of it is there's always work to be done. And what Jesus demonstrates is his authority, his ability to do amazing things. So he didn't just talk about it. He wasn't like, we can go serve people, love people, do amazing things, transform lives, but never take action. He took action, did it, 
demonstrated the authority and people are like, we need to bring more people to this guy. Like, he's changing lives. Like, this is great. Let's keep doing this. And he stops. He removes himself, himself from it. We see this, this power on display through Jesus. This power that could probably, we could argue, say is never-ending, right? Like, he could, he could heal everybody he comes in contact with. They could keep bringing crowds for days, and he could heal all of them, just transform everybody. But that's not what happens, right? He actually gets away from all of it. And what we see here is this display of power that goes all the way back to this creating power that we talked about in Genesis. A couple weeks ago we talked about it. Carissa spoke about it as well. Um, That there's this creative power that God has. We see in Genesis in creating the heavens and the earth, creating everything that we experience, everything that you see, everything tangible, creating man and woman, right? All of that he creates. That's a display of power. It's a display of force. And then we see that Jesus is continuing that same display of power. And if you want to go back and listen last week, if you didn't catch that, Carissa did a beautiful job of talking about this mission of God that was spelled out through the Israelites, right? Like they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations and they dropped the ball. And then Jesus comes and says, I'm going to come and demonstrate that same thing. So if you want to go back and listen, I'd really encourage you to do it. Like she does a beautiful job of that, that connection. Um, So I don't want to explain it again, but you see this power that's starting in Genesis, that's going throughout scripture of God displaying his power and his authority in the world that we live in. But yet there's a limit, right? Because if that power always existed, we wouldn't have all the issues like Matt was talking about. There's there's suffering and there's pain all around the world all the time. So shouldn't all those things just go away? If Jesus is real and if God is real, shouldn't all that just be zapped, like his authority come in and just take care of it all? But I would say no, because there's still this choice that we all have every day to choose what we want to do. We're not robots. We're not forced to love God. We're not forced to do anything. We're given this free will. But yet God's power is still on display over and over for us to see and to witness and see at work. What we also see in the beginning is God working, working, working six days. And then what happens the seventh day? Rest. His power is on display over and over and over and over. And then he's like, I'm going to take a rest. I'm going to take a break. He models for us this super important that there's six days of this work that's going to take place, but then there's going to be a day of what is called in the Old Testament Sabbath, which is going to be rest. And I want to take that word and like kind of unpack that a little bit. Um, it says in Genesis 2, 2 through 3, um, the seventh day God had finished the work he had, done, had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because it is, on it he rested from all the work of creating that had been done. Sabbath uh, in the original Hebrew is this, um, this word that means to cease, to end, to rest. To cease, to end, to rest. Right? So whatever you're doing during the week, whatever we do typically, we cease, we end, we rest. There's a stopping of everything that we do. And we live in a culture that's like feeding on, live on the sixth day and 
keep powering through the seventh and get more done. Like maybe we can get an eight-day week, right? Like maybe we can get a 36-hour day. But no, we're given what? 24-hour day, seven days. And on the seventh, he says, we're going to rest. We're not going to keep working through it. We're not going to power through, produce more, even if it's great things, right? Because everything that God created was, it says it over and over at the end of every creation that he does, it was good. God created and it was good. Over and over. God created and it was good. Over and over. So he could have kept doing that. Like we would all argue, like keep doing that goodness. That's awesome. Jesus is in the same scenario. In this paragraph, we see he's doing good, displaying power, authority, healing, like doing the thing that we all say is like, that's going to change our world. Let's keep doing that. And yet the next day, what does he do? Time out. And the response is really interesting because, um, oh, did I skip the Colossians? So in Colossians, this is one little nuance that I want to point out before I rush through all of this. It says, uh, Paul says, therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. What does that mean? The heart of what happens here with Sabbath is meant to be rest. It's not meant to be a law. It's not meant to be a command that we all point at each other and go, wait, you didn't take a break. You didn't. It's meant to be something that we do out of joy. It's meant to be something that we do out of grace because now we live under grace, right? No longer are we living under the command. And this idea of Sabbath was something in the Jewish culture that was command, that was directed as something you're supposed to do. But what Paul points out and reminds us and what I want to point out to us is like this gift of Sabbath is exactly that. It's a gift. It wasn't meant to be something that's like a wag your finger at people or wag your your finger at yourself and feel guilty. Like, I didn't take a day off this week. I'm such a horrible Christian or whatever it is. It was meant to be life-giving. It was meant to be this thing that helps you thrive. So I hope that that starts to shift our perspective a little bit, that it's not a law. It's something we get to abide by and get to step into and flourish as a result of being a part of it. So, um, and then it goes on, and in the Old Testament, the understanding was that you would take Sabbath. It's, it's, a ten, it's been the Ten Commandments, right? Let me throw them up there just so you guys see the whole list. So, the first half is meant to be like our relationship with, uh, with God, and the second half is our relationship with people. And so we would all agree that like stealing is bad, right? That like murder is bad. But then when we look at the fourth one, it says, remember the Sabbath. We're like, yeah, that's cool. You know, like, nah, <laughs> that one's like optional. All the other ones were like, yeah, I agree. And I see that. And if you've been around the church or you've been reading scripture and you've been following Jesus, you're like, yeah, those are all things that Jesus echoed as important and valuable in our lives. But yet, there's that fourth one that's like sneaky that gets in there that's like, eh, that's kind of optional and, and iffy and why would you, eh, why? And we go, we fall back on grace, the passage that I shared before, right? So what I want to, I think, help us see is that those were all things that were meant to help us thrive. They're all supposed to be things that help us achieve this life that is really good between us and God and us and each other, right? Like when I steal from you, you're not stoked on me right? It's that simple. Um, and what's interesting is the very last one is that you shall not covet. It has to do with like your motives, right? Your heart towards others. That like when that is broken between us and each other, things aren't right. 
They aren't the way that God designed them to be. And so I bring that up because it's valuable, it's important, and it's life-giving, and it's something that really helps us thrive when we look at our relationship between God and, and each other. And so there has to be this, like, this understanding that the Sabbath is meant for restoration. It's meant to be this thing that helps us do well in life, that helps us really um, orient life around something that's good when we are disoriented, right? Going back to Simone in the beginning, disorienting. Like life gets this point where the stress is so much and things get disorienting. And what we see here is Jesus saying, orient life around this and you'll start to see that there'll be something really good. And so going into the second half of this passage that we're digging in today, we see Jesus get away, right? He models it all these great things, and he steps away early in the morning, which it's difficult for me. I'm not an early riser. Like, I'm like, I set the alarm for six, and it's usually like 6.30 that I get out. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm trying. Um, I wish I could wake up like at 5 a.m. and just be all like, I don't know, Ray Vander, <laughs> Vanderchuk. Um, that's just like, get up super early, be super productive, get a lot done in those couple hours before everybody wakes up. I was like, I'd like that. I want that. Maybe someday. We'll see. But Jesus does this. He achieves it. Um, he gets up early, and he doesn't just get away to a solitary place for some me time. What does he do? He prays, right? He gets away to pray so that his cup can be filled. It doesn't say he gets away just to have some peace and quiet because everybody else was chaotic and driving him crazy. It was, I need to get away because Jesus will fill my cup. And I brought this cup because that just analogy, that picture for me in my life and how I feel at times, like my cup feels empty. And what you see Jesus doing here is filling his cup. He's getting away for time to be re-energized by the thing that fills his cup, and that is the Father. And he models that for us. What's interesting is, as he's being restored, as he's in the middle of that, like, thing that is Sabbath, that is good, that is healthy, the restoration process, the response is interesting. The response from the disciples, from people that are like, ministry's happening, people's lives are being transformed, we got to go do more. They show up, and what do they say? Like, their response is, everyone is looking for you. We have stuff to do. we got to go produce. And his, his response is, okay, yeah, we'll go do that. But, like, he's modeling that he needs to have that time to be filled. You can't just give, 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 give. In Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus models this. He shows us that we need to get away. We need to be with the Father. We need to take on that yoke, and that's what begins to energize us, give us that new life, and begin to keep us from that burnout that happens, that culturally is so normal all around us, right? Um, everyone is looking for you. Great things are happening. I referenced um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and it's a podcast that you can listen to about Mark Driscoll a couple, a couple weeks ago. Um, but I've still been like 
listening to it and, and churning through it. Um, and one of the interesting nuances that I found was that what a lot of the ministry leaders that were around him when things fell and things crumbled said was tons of people were getting baptized, lives were being transformed, so we overlooked other things. Awesome stuff was happening. Lives are being changed. Baptisms are happening. People are coming to know Jesus. But this other thing, we'll just ignore it because all this good is happening. There might be really good things in our lives that are happening that we still have to pull back and take time to go, I need rest. I need Sabbath. I need to have a place where I reorient to Jesus and I'm not just doing stuff for the Lord because it's good, right? So you might have a list of things that are very good in your life that um, that will eventually burn you out because you're just doing it because you know that you should and you haven't ever taken a break. There's a thing um, that uh, I want to show you guys here in a second um, as we begin to talk about what does it look like to have a healthy balance in what we do. Um, there's, a, a, there's a question. Can silence actually drive you crazy? Some of you guys are going to be like, yes, I love silence. It's great. And some of you guys are going to be like, yes, it'll drive you insane. I can't do it. Um, I ask this question because I think at times um, we think that we have to keep doing because we're kind of scared of the silence, right? This is where I'm going to hopefully challenge you guys and challenge myself in some ways because I don't like it. I was watching myself this week as I was doing sermon prep, like going, how often do I get away from my phone and still feel at peace not anxious that I don't have my phone near me. It was quite challenging. It was quite difficult. And I noticed that like dinner times and different things like where I was like, I need to answer this text. I need to do this thing because it's good and it's helpful and it's, I don't want to leave someone hanging, you know? And all of that stuff. Silence, like being away and disconnected from things is painful at times. Um, I want to show you guys this little two-minute clip real quick about what it's like to be in complete silence. Okay, so they've created this chamber. It's called an anechoic chamber where there's no echo. No echo is what the anechoic means. And um, so it's this padded room where they make music and you can literally, like it's just going to record the music as it is in its purest form, nothing else. No other sound, all right? So to give you context, that's what's happening. But here's what happens when you go into that room. Check this out. There are reports that it's impossible to stay in one of these rooms and remain sane for a significant period of time. The record is apparently 45 minutes. I felt a little claustrophobic. I got, it felt like there's a lot of pressure on my head. <laughs> but why would that be? I mean, the air is no different in here. What I figured is just because when you listen in a normal room, there's a lot of reverb. To your ear, that means there's a lot of space. But there's none of that in here, so it feels claustrophobic. It feels like you're in a tiny room. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you could be in a coffin. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's really an anxiety response. So you're used to having these sounds around you, and then you don't anymore, and so you start to panic because you don't have something you're used to. And I think that anxiety can increase and cause some stress, and maybe that's why people go crazy or hallucinate with sound. It's just because they're trying to make up for what they're used to that isn't there. When I bring people in, I warn them, hey, if you get a little dizzy, please let me know so I can... Um, get you out of the room before you make a mess in, in our expensive facilities. <laughs> but... First, you'll hear any rustle of your clothing. So you move an inch and you'll hear it. Then you'll hear any fluids that are in your mouth or your throat. You'll hear them all moving around every time you move your mouth. And um, 
the longer you stay in there, the more you heal. So you start to hear the blood flow through your brain. Have you heard it? Mm-hmm. What yeah, is it? it sounds kind of like a ringing or a pulsing. Can you kind of make the sound for us so that we know what to listen out for? Of the, of the blood flow? Yeah, it just like, sounds like a pulsing, like... <sighs> Some people say they can hear their heartbeat coming from their chest as well. Do you, have you heard that? No. Mm-mm. A violinist placed in one of these rooms was apparently banging on the door within a matter of seconds trying to get out. Now other people say it's impossible to stand up because you become so disoriented, dizzy, nauseous, and, uh, and some people even hear oral hallucinations. But to me, it doesn't sound right. You know, I believe that I should be able to sit in a room with no sound, with the lights off for as long as I like. And so I'm going to put myself to the test by staying in this room for as long as I can. I don't want to give it all away, but um, he goes in and uh, he actually achieves the time, but the process is pretty interesting. If you want to go back and watch that whole thing, I put it in the sermon notes. Um, Silence drives us crazy. And I believe that, like she was saying, that when you're sitting with every single noise that you make that you normally don't hear, you're sitting with your thoughts, you're sitting with just you. There's nothing else. There's no phone. There's nothing else. And that can be disorienting because and concerning and anxious um, feelings will arise because we're having to confront really the reality of where we're at, right? Normally we have so much noise, like even this thing's on. Look at this. And suddenly like there's less noise as soon as that turns off. And suddenly there's like, oh, there's another one, you know, like, come on, freaking out. (laughs) Like, There's just so much going on, and that's just an example of even the choices that we make and the things that we have going and the the feed that we have in our brain constantly. Like, there's always, like, these background apps running, and I think when we stop, we're able to shut down some of the apps that we don't need running, to use that analogy, and we're able to fill our cup again to where we're not trying to pour out into other people's lives an empty cup. We have nothing to give. We have nothing to serve, no, no patience, no time no energy to be able to give to others because there's nothing been poured back into it. Um, later on here in Mark, there's a conversation that he has with his disciples, and one of the conversations is about how a seed grows and that a seed grows regardless of whether the farmer stares at the plant, whether the farmer sleeps, or whether the farmer is involved in the process out watering the seed still grows. And why that's important, and we'll study that one here in a few weeks um, without completely taking the the steam out of that sermon, is that we need to abide. We need to have that time of like recognizing that God will do a work in us, whether we work at it super hard or not. God's going to do things in our lives. God's going to do things in our world. Whether we put tons of energy and focus on it or not, we need to learn that we can rest and that God will still work that God will do his thing, whether I'm watering or not, right? We need to recognize that, and that's what Jesus models for us. Get away, have that time to have your cup filled. And, um, and so I want to uh, bring up that in the process of trust, um, we have to recognize that there can be this thing called compassion fatigue. And it's one of those things that in the last year has become a real reality for nurses, doctors, Um, teachers a lot of times, um, people that are helping and serving in whatever field it is on a regular basis, 
that can start to have this fatigue. And the definition is this indifference to charitable appeals on behalf of those who are suffering, experienced as a result of the frequency or number of such appeals. That if you're constantly in this place, seven days a week of like giving and trying to serve and meet needs and solve problems, that that will eventually burn you out and you'll have compassion fatigue. And you get to this place where you do nothing, where you no longer serve, where you no longer have this joy of serving the needs that come up around you. And you're like, yeah, that's cool, but I don't have time for that, or I don't have the energy for that, or I just really don't care. I'm just kind of like, bleh, meh about the whole thing, right? Um, that's the sad side of what happens when we don't take Sabbath, when we don't have that time to be filled where our cup can be filled, where we can pour out into others. Um, my hope and my prayer is that we wouldn't end up that way. Um, I know that there's like two sides of it. The, like Some of us can be apathetic to things um, as a result of too much of it, but then you can also be apathetic because you haven't done anything, right? So it's like there's, I just ask the question, do you need that Sabbath? Do you need that place to be recharged, to be filled so that you aren't in that place of meh? of not caring, of losing that compassion, losing that heart, losing that drive that you once had. So um, to close this out, I want to say that there's a concept of jubilee that you see in the Old Testament, the concept of Sabbath. All of these point to this thesis statement that we talked about a couple weeks ago that Jesus drops here. The kingdom is here, and it's good news. Don't work harder recognize that we get to just accept it and live into God's kingdom. It's not about working harder, doing more, performing more for God. It's like Jesus says, the kingdom is here. It's at hand. It's present. All you have to do is accept it and begin to step into it. And what he says, going back to that Matthew 11 thing, is like, take my yoke on me. Begin to follow my teachings. Live in this way that you recognize that six days you're going to work, but then on one day you're going to take a Sabbath, you're going to take a break, and it's going to refresh your soul, and you need to get away to pray, to have some time just to recharge your cup, refill your batteries, whatever metaphor you want to use, um, to begin to be refreshed. And so in Psalm 23, which I love, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. It's that reminder that we don't need anything else. Like, we have everything we need in the Father. And a few lines later, it says, my cup, what? Overflows. And that's what Jesus is modeling in these few verses. Get away. Get to this place where your cup is overflowing, where you're encouraged, where you're on fire because the Holy Spirit's living in you and residing in you and working through you. And you're not just doing it because, like, I have to because my pastor told me, because some other told person told me that this is what a Christian does, uh, whatever it is, whatever kind of guilt trip you've been laid on, you do it because you just love following Jesus and obey, ob obeying what he has called us to. And so that's just my encouragement. Um, I would just challenge you to wrestle through these questions of like, is Sabbath possible? Is it possible in your life? Is it needed in your life? And do you know the markers to begin to recognize when you haven't taken Sabbath? And I'm not going to say it has to be you know, what is it, uh, sundown on Saturday to sunup on Sunday. We're not going to get legalistic. You just figure out, like, what is the space in your week and your schedule and how your schedule works to find time to be filled, to sit and to, like, 
have your cup filled by Jesus to where you're doing the same thing that he's doing and you're, you're working out of that the other six days. Okay, so Lord, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for the ways that you've modeled for us what it looks like to live life the best possible way. We want to step into that regularly. Forgive us for the spaces where we've tried to just take control of life and, and handle all these things on our own. Um, help us this morning just to be reminded that we work out of your strength, that we move and live and have our being as a result of you, Jesus. And, and so help us to live into that each day as we go into this, this week, um, that you are fully present, that you're journeying with us, that you give us the strength to work out of um, not our own. And uh, so we love you, Jesus, and thank you for this, uh, this passage. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, rejoice in knowing that you never walk alone. You know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, and he's guiding and protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of every single day. Grace and peace. If you have questions, again, connect card. Feel free to reach out. We'd love to chat. And uh, if not, we'll see you Tuesday night. We'll dig in further.